Section one of The Jolly Parisians and Other Novelettes. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne Spiegel. The Jolly Parisians by Emile Zola. Translated by George D. Cox. Chapter one The Two Charmers. This is a deliciously exciting period of my life for I am about to try that most fascinating and hazardous of all experiences, a search for adventure in Paris. What I shall encounter I know not, and this very uncertainty is in itself a mighty charm. Of course I shall meet Parisian ladies, delightful ladies I am sure, though I actually feel afraid of them, such dreadful tales have I heard concerning their coquetry and artfulness, not to say wickedness, and I am only a country youth, with neither the wit nor the courage to defend myself against beautiful sorceresses so powerfully armed. Well, I wish to see all that can be seen, and enjoy all that can be enjoyed, and if I by chance should fall a victim to the wiles and witchery of any designing siren, why, all I can say is, heaven help me. Eight days ago my father, Monsieur de Vauglade, permitted me to quit Le Bouquet, the melancholy old chateau in lower normandy where i was born my father has strange ideas concerning the present time he is a good half-century behind the age at last i live in paris my slight knowledge of which was derived from having passed through it twice fortunately i am not too awkward felix bodin my old classmate at the can lyceum claimed on again seeing me here that i was superb and that the fair Parisians will fall passionately in love with me. That made me laugh. But when Felix had gone, I surprised myself in front of a mirror, gazing at my five feet six inches, and smiling with my white teeth and black eyes. Then I shrugged my shoulders, for I am not a coxcomb. Yesterday, for the first time, I passed the evening at a Parisian salon. The Countess de P., who is my aunt, had invited me to dinner, it was her last Saturday. She wished to present me to Monsieur Nijon, a deputy of our arrondissement of Gomerville, who had just been appointed under-secretary of state, and who is, the rumour runs, in a fair way to become minister. My aunt, who is much more tolerant than my father, plumply declared to me that a young man of my age could not turn up his nose at his country, even if it was a republic. She desires me to get a position somewhere." I will take it on myself to catechize that old pigeon-headed Vauglade, she said to me. Leave everything to me, my dear George. At precisely seven o'clock I was at the Countess's, but it seemed that they dined late in Paris. The guests arrived one by one, and at half-past seven all were not there. The Countess informed me with an air of despair that she had been unable to secure Monsieur Nigron. He was detained at Versailles by I know not what parliamentary complication— Nevertheless, she still hoped that he would appear for a moment during the evening. Wishing to fill the gap, she had invited another deputy of our department, the enormous Gaucheron, as we style him down there, and whom I knew from having once hunted with him. This Gaucheron is a short, jovial man, who has recently let his side-whiskers grow in order to have a grave air. He was born in Paris, and was the son of a pettifogging lawyer without fortune but he has, down with us, a wealthy and very influential uncle, whom he persuaded, I know not how, to give him a candidacy. I was, besides, ignorant of the fact that he was married. 
my aunt placed me at table beside a blonde young lady with a cunning and pretty air whom the enormous gaufrand in a very loud tone called bertha all the guests at last appeared it was still daylight in the salon which was exposed to the setting sun and suddenly we entered an apartment with curtains drawn lighted by a chandelier and lamps the effect was singular hence as we took our places the guests chatted about these final dinners of the winter season which are saddened by the twilight my aunt detests this and the conversation was prolonged upon the subject upon the melancholy of paris traversed at the close of day when one rides along in a carriage in response to an invitation i was silent but i had experienced nothing of that sensation in my fachra which had however roughly jolted me for half an hour paris in the first glimmer of the gas had filled me with a desire for all the enjoyments with which it was about to flame when the entrees appeared the voices were raised and they talked politics i was surprised to hear my aunt formulate opinions the other ladies also were posted they called the well-known men by their last names judged and decided opposite me gaucherand filled a tremendous space talking loudly without ceasing either to drink or eat these matters did not interest me at all a great deal had escaped me and i had finished by occupying myself exclusively with my neighbour madame gaucherand bertha as i already called her for short she was indeed very pretty her ear especially seemed charming to me a little round ear behind which yellow locks were curling bertha had the bewildering nape of the neck of a blonde covered with straggling hair at certain movements of the shoulders her corsage cut down in a square gaped slightly at the back and i followed from her neck to her waist the supple undulation of a cat i had less admiration for her profile which was a trifle sharp she talked politics with more eagerness than the rest madame will you take some wine shall i pass you the salt madame i was politeness itself i anticipated her slightest wishes interpreting her gestures and her glances she had stared at me fixedly on taking her place at the table as if to weigh me at one swoop a politics bore you she said to me at last they stun me but what can one do one must talk and they talk only politics now in society then she leaped to another subject is gomerville a pretty place my husband wanted last summer to take me to his uncle's but i was afraid i pretended that i was ill the district is very fertile i responded it has some fine plains good that settles it resumed she laughing it's frightful a district as flat as a pancake fields and more fields with the same row of poplars as far as the eye can reach i strove to protest but she was already off again she was discussing a law relative to superior instruction with her neighbor on the right a serious man with a white beard at length they talked about the theatre when she bent forward to answer a question asked at the end of the table the feline undulation of the nape of her neck put me all in a flutter at le bouquet in the secret impatience of my solitude i had dreamed of a blonde charmer but she was diffident with a noble visage and the smiling mien the little curling locks of bertha had played sad havoc with my ideal then as the vegetables were being served i glided into a mad romance the details of which i arranged as i went along we were alone she and i i kissed her on the neck from behind and she turned with a smile 
we fled together to a far distant land they were passing around the desert at that moment she pressed against me and said in a low voice give me that plate of bonbons there in front of you it seemed to me that her eyes had a caressing softness and the slight pressure of her bare arm on the sleeve of my coat warmed me deliciously i adore sweet things do you she resumed biting off a piece of candied fruit these simple words thrilled me to such an extent that i believed myself in love with her as i raised my head i saw gaucherod watching me whisper to his wife he was as gay as usual and smiled with an encouraging air the husband's smile calmed me meanwhile the dinner was drawing to a close it did not seem to me that paris dinners were any livelier than those of Cannes. bertha alone surprised me my aunt complained of the heat and they returned to the first topic of conversation discussing the spring receptions and concluding that one ate really well only in winter then the company went to take their coffee in the little salon gradually a great many people arrived the three salons and the dining-room filled up i took refuge in a corner and as my aunt passed she said to me rapidly don't go george his wife has arrived he has promised to come for her and i will present you she spoke of monsieur nijon but i did not listen to her very attentively i had heard two young men exchange a few rapid words which had startled me they were standing on tiptoe at a door of the main salon and when felix Bodine, my old classmate of cannes entered and bowed to madame gaucherod the smallest one said to the other is he still her fancy yes answered the taller of the twain oh they're very thick now it will last till winter never before has she kept a fellow so long this did not cause me great suffering i simply felt a wound of vanity why has she told me in such a tender tone that she adored sweet things certainly i did not mean to dispute her with felix however i finally persuaded myself that these young men had culminated madame gaucherod i knew that my aunt was excessively rigid she would never tolerate compromised ladies in her house gaucherod had rushed forward to meet felix and grasp his hand and he was giving him friendly taps on the shoulder and gazing tenderly at him ah here you are said felix to me when he had discovered my place of refuge i came on your account do you want me to pilot you we remained standing in the doorway i would have liked to question him about madame gaucherod but did not know how to do so in an off-hand way while searching for a transition point i asked him concerning a host of other persons for whom i cared absolutely nothing and he gave me the names of the people with precise information in regard to each born in paris he had spent only two years at the Cannes lyceum while his father was prefect of calvados i found him very free-spoken a smile puckered his lower lip when i asked him for details as to certain ladies present are you looking at madame nijon he suddenly demanded of me the truth was that i was looking at madame gaucherod hence i replied blankly enough madame nijon ah where is she that brunette down there by the mantelpiece who is chatting with the decolleté blonde in fact beside madame gaucherod and laughing gaily was a lady whom i had not noticed before ah so that's madame nijon said i and i examined her it was exceedingly unfortunate that she was a brunette for she appeared to me equally as charming though not quite so tall as bertha with a magnificent crown of black hair she had eyes at once flashing and tender 
her small nose shapely mouth and dimpled cheeks indicated a nature both turbulent and thoughtful such was my first impression but as i looked at her my judgment wavered and i soon saw her gayer than her friend and laughing more loudly are you acquainted with nijon felix demanded of me not in the least my aunt is going to introduce me to him oh he's nobody but a perfect ninny continued felix he's political mediocrity in full bloom one of those stop-gaps so useful under the parliamentary regime and he hasn't two ideas of his own and as all the cabinet heads can make use of him he is in the most conflicting combinations and his wife i asked his wife well you can see for yourself she is charming if you want to get anything out of nijon pay court to her felix affected to wish to say nothing further but he gave me to understand that madame nijon had made her husband's fortune and continued to watch over the prosperity of the family all paris credited her with devoted slaves and the blonde lady i demanded suddenly the blonde lady responded felix without wincing is madame gaucherand there is nothing to be said against her eh of course there is nothing to be said against her he had assumed a grave air which he was unable to maintain his smile reappeared i even thought that i could detect a trace of boastfulness on his visage which angered me the two ladies had without doubt observed that we were talking about them for they laughed more heartily than ever a lady having led felix away i remained alone and i passed the evening comparing madame nijon with madame gaucherod wounded and attracted not fully comprehending what was taking place around me experiencing the anxiety of a man who is afraid of committing some stupidity by risking himself in a society with which he is not yet acquainted how vexatious he has not come said my aunt to me when she again found me in the same corner of the doorway but it is always the same it's midnight and his wife is still waiting for him i went around through the dining-room and planted myself at the other door of the salon in this manner i found myself behind the two ladies as i reached the door i heard bertha call her friend louise louise is a pretty name she wore a high dress the ruching of which allowed to be seen beneath her heavy chignon only the white line of her neck this discreet whiteness seemed to me for an instant much more enticing than bertha's entirely bare back then i had no longer any preference both of them were adorable a choice appeared impossible to me in the bewildered condition in which i found myself my aunt meanwhile was hunting for me everywhere it was one o'clock so you've changed your door eh she said to me well he's not coming that nijon saves france every evening but at any rate i'll introduce you to his wife before she goes and be amiable it's important without awaiting my response the countess planted me in front of madame dijon uttering my name and telling her my business in a phrase i behaved very awkwardly and could scarcely find half a dozen words louisa waited smiling then seeing that i had stopped short she simply bowed it seemed to me that madame gaucherod was making fun of me they both arose and withdrew in the antechamber where the dressing-room was located they had a fit of wild gaiety their free and easy hoydendish behavior and their bold grace astonished no one but me the men separated and bowed to them as they passed with a mixture of extreme politeness and fashionable familiarity which stupefied me felix had offered me a place in his carriage but i made my escape wishing to be alone and i did not take a fakra 
delighted to walk amid the silence and solitude of the streets i was feverish as at the approach of some grave malady was it a passion which was sprouting within me like travellers who pay their tribute to new climates i was about to be tried by the air of paris end of section one